When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello, welcome back to the Claret and Blue podcast. My name is Dan Rowlandson. I'm joined by Matt Kendrick and John Townley this evening. And I'd love to report that Aston Villa are back. Nine points in a week, gents. That doesn't happen very often, does it? Just debating it, weren't we? When when would be the last time we won nine points in a week? Which I reckon it probably would be the uh, 10-game win- winning run because championship games come thick and fast. So I'm sure we'd have... Uh, had a couple of midweek games in there um, in the Premier League. I don't know. I'd have to bow to the um, the statos in the comments, really, because it's going to be a while, isn't it? It's going to be a, a long, long while away. But isn't it a lovely feeling, especially when we we just <clears throat> we expect to win, we win, and even when we're not playing kind of champagne Olay football, we still seem in control of our destiny. I just mm-hmm. think it's. You know, the, the transformation, I mean, we obviously say say nice things about Mr. Emery again, won't we? But the transformation in the last few months, I don't know. You know, you know when um, Christian Perslow talked about, um, what was it, continuous progression or something, was it? Continuous or, improvement. Yeah. You know, gone from, I think, we, I think we must be exceeding the expectations of what the board had in mind when they brought him in. Um, hmm. Brilliant. Long may it continue. John? A little bit emotional almost in the last podcast we did after Chelsea or Leicester, whenever it was, of, of the kind of um, the real the realism kind of hitting you that Villa are actually competent and a good side. Once That's because we let, let him stay up so late that night. That's what it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, John, how dare you come on this podcast? You're so young. You shouldn't be on the podcast. How can we listen to your opinions? Nonsense, by the way, in the comments, those kind of people. Put your hand up um, before you speak, by the way, John. <laughs> only speak when spoken to John um, yeah a little bit emotional almost but not in a kind of I'm oh, going to burst into tears just a, oh my god what is happening do you still feel that way or have you kind of got used to the idea that now Villa are kind of this 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 team that are back uh, it's still surreal to be honest I think the Leicester podcast just came too soon it was like an hour after the event and it was just mad how it all happened but today was more I'd say controlled in terms of the performance we seem to be in control of the game I know we'll go on to it but Nottingham Forest set up didn't they for a point or maybe to nick it mm-hmm. and as Matt almost said there like we're we're overcoming different tests now like I think teams are starting to uh, show us more respect look Forest tried to get some out of the game by almost negating what we were trying to do rather than win the game by using their quality in Brennan Johnson or Gibbs White or whatever it may be so yeah much more control today but I mean, to be in sixth, it's just mad. Like, obviously, Spurs had to win for us to get sixth and we would have to win as well. So, when we were 1-0 up and Spurs just made it 2-1, I just checked my phone to see the scores and then it was like, we're actually in sixth. And I was just looking around Villa Park and thinking, like, wow. I don't remember, like, when when we were last in that position, if that makes sense, in the Premier League, like, top six. At this point in the season, at least, yeah. Eight games to yeah. go. It must have been, like, what, 2010, 2009, so... Yeah, like just special times at the moment. And to go into Villa Park today, it was like, um, yeah, I felt privileged to do it. Like it was just, 
everything's happening and we're, we're, we're there. We're, um, you know, top, not just top seven, now top six. And we've got really exciting end of the season to come. And it's not exactly in our hands, but we seem to be able to kind of control our own destiny from now to the end of the season, which is a bit scary, really. Um, but yeah, again, really a really good win. And that's, as you say, three in seven days. So yeah, couldn't be any better. I was exchanging a few tweets with Ty Brace in the week about like, the relegation battle and how, how nice it is not to be involved in that and looking at who Bournemouth play and thinking, oh, I hope they don't win today because that affects us. I could not care less about that to the point that me and my dad today were debating whether Tottenham winning was actually a good thing and whether it would, would that game would have been better to be a draw so we gain points on both of them rather than just the one. Uh, obviously, I know Tottenham winning gets us into sixth, but you know, we could have gained points on both of them if that was a draw. And it's like, that's like we've come a long way to be you know, being worried about the bottom end of the table. So now going, oh, was Tottenham winning a good thing or not for our top six hopes? And the fact that all that's come in one season, um, we've said a few times and we probably will go on site for the rest of the season. The fact that the Steven Gerrard kind of mini 12-game season when we were so terrible, Fulham away where it all came to a head and, and it, was, it, was, it was horrific. The fact that all that was this season, the same season that we're seeing now, the turnaround from Emery, was it over two, is it over two points a game now as an average or just two points a game? It's incredible, isn't it? And I, I just, I just, I still can't quite get my head around how he's done it so quickly. I thought it would be, you know, we'll, we'll get better because we couldn't get any worse under Gerard, but we might get to 40 points or 45 points by the end of the season. And that'd be a good end to the season and, and finish 10th, 11th, 12th. To do what we're doing at the moment is is mind blowing and exciting to see where we can go in the next seven, eight games. I'm yes. just working to silence. That's the only thing with having three people. No one yeah, you, you next. Need to tear up, Dan. Uh, sorry, Matt. Your thoughts on what I've just said? Um, I wasn't no, listening because I thought I thought John was going to answer that one, so I just turned out, Matt. To be honest, I suppose for a little bit of balance then for me and John, who have only seen the kind of the good times under O'Neill and the good times being sixth place. Um, maybe a little bit more contrast from your point of view, being older, that the the stuff in the nineties. Sorry, the stuff in the nineties where we actually you know, uh, achieve things in, in terms of trophies. Is this like good enough for us to be getting carried away with, or do you think that there's still a long way to go? Oh, I think we're allowed to get carried away, aren't we? It's been it's been a slog. I remember when I used to go with my mates um, or my mate in the um, in the nineties before I was living at home before I'd <laughs> before I go out. I'd say, say to me, say to me, mom, can I have a prediction for for today? She just my mom's like. Not a massive football fan, but she'll listen to it on the radio. She'll watch it on the telly and stuff. Um, she's just sad Villa 2-0. I said, Mum, you don't even know we play it. Just 2-0. And I, I kind of feel I'm backing that Villa. I know it was was 2-0 today, but I feel I'm backing that Villa 2-0 vibe where when I leave the house, I don't live with my mum anymore. I've, I've, um, <laughs> that'd be a bit weird if I did. Uh, but um, I've got, I'm backing that vibe now where I leave the, leave the house and expect us to win. Um, and that's mm. that's that's a, a scary place sometimes because Villa have got a habit of um, of pulling the rug just when you think that you're um, think that you're on the brink of something. So I thought today was a really um, I thought the atmosphere was okay. You know, I thought the Forest fans were were decent, um, and I thought I thought we were, I thought Villa Park was trying. Um, mm. Not that it doesn't try, but I, I could feel a bit more energy and a bit more effort there. That, that it, it was our requirement to do our bit. Um, and I just thought it was like a team. Listen, we're not going to go all go out and watch buy the DVDs and watch that game back lots of times. But it was like a team that knew how to win uh, yeah. against. I mean, Forest was so deep. There was no, there was nothing nothing in behind them at all, really, other than other than Marino. I thought down down the left wing, 
and it was a little bit frustrating because the players that you want to get on the ball and half turn and, and get into space, Buendir and and Bailey and, and, and Ramsey weren't having enough space or, or weren't being slick enough to to do it, I felt, uh, early on. But that goal early in the second half, I mean, I feel a bit for Leon Bailey at the moment because Leon Bailey can't catch a break, whereas Bert comes on and twice the opposition have teed him up. Uh, you know, you're still going to stick it away. Um, but, you know, when... Um, oh, who's teed him up today? What's his name? Show the ball, fella. When Shelby t- teed him up today, he thought, well, we needed that. We needed that break. And then when mm. I think we could have, I think we could have played all night without Forrest scoring, to be honest. Mm. I can't remember um, Martinez having a great deal to do. Uh, but yeah, we've, we've found ways. It's about solutions, isn't it? We've found ways to win, win three different games in the last quarter yeah. of a week. And that can only fill us with confidence going forward. Yeah, we'll get through into the actual kind of match action in a second. Just as you mentioned then about almost feeling like you still live with your mum, <laughs> predicting 2 0 every week. I saw a great, great tweet before we came on from uh, Sam. We've got Villa are sixth in the league and Ashley Young is wearing Claret and Blue. I feel like I'm 11 all over again. What a time to be alive. And oh, I just shared it, Sam. I feel like I've woken up in 2008. Um, John, did you get that same sense that, that I do as well, that you go to Villa Park? And I, I don't know how often you've been this season with, with work commitments and stuff, but going there at the moment thinking, we're going to win today. Almost no doubt in my mind that we'd be doing the podcast today about a win. Yeah, I think more so today because Nottingham Forest have won one game away in now 15 trips this season. So it was more <laughs> Forest than us. I'm, I'm still that fan of, I think you mentioned earlier, Dan, like our generation, I suppose. We grew up in, or I grew up at least in the Martin O'Neill era. So it was like everything that came after that was just mid-table and relegation fights. I haven't really seen Villa really sort of compete around the top half, let alone top six. So it all feels too surreal to sort of say that Villa are going to win every home game now and that we can, as Matt says, win 2-0 in every game and it'll be fine. You still have that trepidation, but under Emery and how we're playing at the moment, we're just winning in a different way. Like we're not smashing opponents and we're not playing out of our skin we're not doing that I still feel like we've got more gears to hit and we haven't we've added one player to the starting 11 obviously John Duran as well but he's you know an option for sort of a long-term plan um so to add one player and do what we're doing we've got summer window to come up I know he's had a month with the players or a week in the UAE um during the World Cup break but we have a a proper pre-season to come as well so (laughs) how we're doing it I'm not too sure but the fact that there's more to come as well, that's what's so exciting and that's what's fulfilling me with so much confidence in the team. Um, and yeah, we're just overcoming different challenges. Like to win six in seven Premier League games in Stonebeat and concede one goal in open play, that is remarkable. Like that's title winning form. And it's not just those six games. We've done it over 16 games or 17 games now, is it, I think. Obviously so. losing losing to Arsenal when we should have got something from the game. Man City away, that end up, you know, is probably the best sort of, team and one of the best teams in Europe um, and Leicester there was just lots of mistakes in that game so we're doing it to different teams and say they're showing us more respect like they had Danilo and Gibbs White on both of the double pivot 
McGinn and uh, Louise today. So Mings and Conso had a bit more of the ball and we're kind of working out uh, how do we kind of play through this instead of using the two, we'll use the wing back. So it's all about sort of learning as we go on. And that's the sort of games like today, I think are more important to us to sort of work out how to overcome different challenges than just smashing different teams. And they're not really giving much of a fight. I actually thought Forrest were quite good today, especially in the first half. I know mm. a lot of fans have sort of slated Cooper for his comments after the game saying Villa didn't trouble us and things like that. And, I actually agree with some of what he said. I can't lie. I don't think they were that bad. Like that, that wasn't a team that have only won once away all season. And I know they set up to take a point, but they have bits of quality. And I do think they set up well. For example, Traore's goal was gifted on a plate and we've scored, obviously, with them trying to get an equaliser. So as much as I give us credit, I also think Forrest did well. But then that's, you know, in a way, well done to Villa because we've overcome that challenge again. And to do it, three wins mm-hmm. in a week. Chelsea, Leicester, Forest, all different challenges, two away games in there as well. So, yeah, with, that's what's fulfilling me with more confidence because we're doing it in different ways rather than just doing one set thing of playing through one player or doing it this way. We're doing it different different ways and different styles as well, which is, um, yeah, that's what's giving me more confidence going into next season, especially. Yeah, I agree to an extent on Forest that there's still moments throughout the game where they don't put a ball straight out for a throw-in or blast one to the whole end and I go... Phew. That's a crap team, really. Like, that's, that's a poor Premier League team. Yeah. But I feel like the way they set up more from them. Mm. Well, listen, they, they contained us and probably not naive to, to play too open or play too high because yeah. they know we're getting behind them. But yeah. I just thought that I probably expected them to be, as I, spe- I say, I expected them to be more combative. They actually were <laughs> flying, flying into tackles <laughs> and getting stuck in in that sense. But I probably expected them to be a little bit braver. Um, to mm. be honest, because I think it was quite clear that, well, we've scored in every single game. So that's chances impressive. are we were going to score again. I know that's easier said than done, but I think it was a, I think it was a bit of a, a, a foolish, a foolish ploy in the end, thinking that they could come for a nil-nil or come for a one-nil. Mm. Um, I think they probably need to offer a little bit more, but I, I get your point that, that it's not for, it's not for teams to come to Villa Park and play open. And go toe to toe if they think they're going to get turned yeah. over properly. Um, we'll talk about we the setup in a bit because you're right, John, the way they set up the kind of nullified Villa's way of playing, and we will come on to that in a sec. Um, there's just a couple of tweets, Matt, I wanted to read out because I've got my phone in my hand and it's going to keep distracting me otherwise. Two two people that are probably the best, fo- two of the best followers on Twitter, Alex Berwick and Jamie Gray, had a little, little conversation earlier. I screenshotted it as I was on the way home. Alex says, one, didn't play great. What a lovely habit to get into. What I love is that we never panic. We just keep doing our thing and eventually it pays off. We are a proper football team, which is the biggest achievement of all. Jamie replied, when you don't play particularly well individually, which we didn't, that's where the coaching kicks in and the system does its job. When did we last have that? We win games where we've not played great in, still keep clean sheets and keep powering on. Amazing. And I was kind of like, I'll just read that on the podcast because that's how I feel, but they've said it better than how I ever would. Um, I could talk about the get goals. Rid of you and get them on. Yeah, fine. That's fine by me. If they want to come on, that'd be great because I, I, I kind of love their, their both their Twitter feeds. They, they speak very well. I don't think the they've got red faces either. I think they're uh... all right, Baldy. Um, <laughs> the goal speak- scoring. <laughs> speaking of, speaking of Baldies, I thought Anthony Taylor took a, a while to get his yellow cards out today. Yeah, I thought he let, weird. he let quite a few go, and because of that, but were bookings. Yeah, I think I think because of that, Forrest thought, okay, then we're allowed to kick, we're allowed to um, mm. chop people down, and uh, you know, when when somebody clatters clatters you in the in the first minute, you're like, it, the tackle's late, but it's too early to get a card out. 
that was happening for the first 15, 20 minutes. And then I yeah. thought it got a little... It was a really disjointed game, wasn't it? There were kind of stoppages and... Yeah. It just, yeah, I mean, really flow. There's only yeah. four minutes added at the end, which I was shocked at, to be fair. Because yeah. it yeah. came to for five minutes. I remember when there was a corner in like the 80th minute. And then a couple of minutes later, it's like the 86th. And John McGinn was still standing there waiting to take it. So yeah. I think there was yeah. only three, yeah, three, three at half time as well. And that, that could have been five plus for the, in the first really, half. Really first half yeah. um, just on the goal scoring record, you said that we've scored in every game. That's 17 Premier League games in a row that Villa have scored in under Emery, which for Villa is a record since 2009 was the last time we did at least 17 or more. And nobody else this season has scored um, in 17 plus games. In the Premier League, you so keep, that's quite nice. Do you still nice. keep those stats books? Do you still keep them handwritten? Is that where you've got that from? Uh, that's why on Twitter. <laughs> I've robbed it from somebody else. Go again, get them on the podcast. I'll just write, rob stuff from elsewhere. Um, but yeah, again, it was just like you said, John, teams are going to come to Villa and think, we're going to be in for a game today. It's going to be difficult going to, to go into Villa or Villa coming to us even because we're so good away. Um, we're going to be in a game. We're going to know that we've been in a game today. And, you know, you, you've... <laughs> You've got to keep a clean sheet to try and get anything out of Villa because they always score. So the minute that we scored today, even at 1-0, I wanted more all the way through just for a bit of comfort at least. I still thought, well, Forest aren't going to score two. They probably aren't going to score one. So even at 1-0, I felt pretty safe. Obviously, to finish off 2-0 in the, the pretty much the last kick of the game, was a, it looks nicer, doesn't it, to win 2-0 over Forest rather than 1-0. But even at 1, I thought, yeah, that's it. That's fine now. 46 minutes or whatever, we'll win this from here. And it gives the goal difference a plus one now. That was when, uh, <laughs> when Watkins scored. It was like, oh, finally, we're on a positive. I don't know when. When would we have been a positive? That must be the first time of the season, right? Because yeah. then Everton 2-1, then Palace 3-1. I don't think we would have been positive all season, which is shockingly bad. Um, but yeah, the, that was just the way Forrest set up. I'm with Matt as well. That They probably should have done more and be more brave, I think, in possession. But the way they set up, I just think that it's a good lesson for Villa because... In most of the games, our build-up and how we've been playing out, teams have struggled to sort of cope with it. And it almost seems quite obvious what we're going to do. But today, mm. there was a different sort of um, sort of passages to play, like a contra and Mings. I thought we were a bit slow on the ball at, at times. But that's because they're learning that, oh, all of a sudden, John McGinn and uh, Louise, or it would have been Kamara instead of McGinn, all of a sudden, there's two players on them and they're not pressing us. But, you know, what do we do sort of thing? Sounds quite basic, but then it's it's kind of working out for them you know how to bypass, um, bypass. Sorry, that uh, that sort of challenge and get the ball into the final third, which we did on occasions. Well, um, I thought Moreno for me was probably man of the match. I think Mings as well was coloss- was colossal again. Concert didn't really put a foot wrong. The whole back four really, but Moreno gave us that outlet. I think he's a really clever player. Um, he's obviously quick, but to go from the halfway line to the uh, byline, you can't just sprint the whole way because your defender that you're playing against, the opposite fullback, can just run five yards behind and track you. So he's quite clever with it as well. He's like quick on quick on the pitch and quick up here too. You know, he's a very intelligent player. So for the money we spent on him, I think that was a really astute signing and he's kind of coming into his own now. Um, but yeah, it just, it's, it's another win. I think from now to the end of the season, we're just going to have to keep trying ticking off those wins. Um, I think the next two games are massive. We'll obviously go on to it, but... Um, Newcastle, if anyone's going to stop us scoring, it'll be them. I think they've probably got the best defensive record in the league or they should do anyway. I don't think they concede many goals. Mm. Uh, and then Brentford away, and again, a really tough game because of where they are in the table. So, yeah, I think it was really important that we won today, obviously. But in the manner that we did it, I was glad that we could kind of come over that sort of test without, you know, Forrest, I think, put up a good resolve in terms of how they defended. I didn't, you know, if we, if we just battered them 4-0 when they were, you know, hopeless to play against, it would almost be like, well, that says more about 
much about them rather than us. So it's good that we come mm. over another challenge. It's another sort of positive yeah. of our, we played a different way and we've we've shown that we can win another way, keep clean sheets again. And then as the comment says there, no easy games. It's bang on in the Premier League. Every team's fighting for something, and you know, mm. Steve Cooper might be sacked tomorrow morning. So they were going to fight for everything at the end, and good thing we got the goal. Um, so yeah, another another really good three points. But again, the sort of manner of how we did it, I was sort of pleased with the most, I suppose you could say. You hear, you hear a lot of people, like ex-managers and ex-players, talk about like how difficult it even is to win games in the Premier League, like full stop. Never mind putting a run together of is it four in a row now for us, or certainly six and seven at least. Anyway, Newcastle winning five in a row as well, so that's kind of you know, one of those records is going to give next week, isn't it? So um, yeah, it shows kind of how far both have come. You love Moreno, don't you, Matt? <clears throat> yeah, sorry, I'm just um, I'm just laughing laughing because I'm just. <laughs> I don't know whether I should say this, but uh, I saw a tweet oh, yeah. earlier. I went back and I hadn't watched um, Emery's post-match. And uh, have you seen the bit where he says, we about ta- he, he actually says taking clean sheets. Which sounds, like, it sounds like he's saying technically shit. <laughs> can't say that on the podcast. I know, sorry, you'll have to beep it out. But it's, uh, it just made, oh. me, made me laugh. It just flashed up on me. And thing, yeah. Um, Miranda, yeah, I think he's brilliant. I think there was, there was probably... Two moments that that stopped him from being having a faultless display today, and it was one. I think he got booked for, didn't he? he gave the ball away just inside their half, and then tried to kind of make amends. Um, and another time, I think there was just. I mean, this is me splitting airs. This is this is two actions in the whole of a match. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He was <laughs> he was brilliant. Um, you know, he's so lively, and when Emery wants wants his defenders to play in tight spaces. He's, he's more than content to do that. And, you know, whether that's controlling the ball under pressure and, and giving it quickly or whether that's manoeuvring out of the space himself. Um, you know, like you said, he's, he's the only one real addition to kind of Team Gerard. But what an addition. Um, Team and he's, he's, he's so mobile um, and so technically, technically good. And I think when he first signed, I did worry whether he'd be up to it physically, to be mm. honest, coming into the Premier League. But... I think he can mix it, mix it physically as well. So, um, yeah, he was he was my man of the match today. I thought he was brilliant. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. There was a, one of the first games, and I think you made a podcast after, and I, I think I, well, certainly made myself look stupid now, maybe at the time as well, but I was like, is he good? Like, I can't quite work out. Like, he's got flashes of it, but I'm not quite sure. Like, is he this massive improvement on Luca Dean kind of thing? Now you kind of go, yes, he's definitely an improvement. I was stupid at the time. I'm certainly stupid now to have that opinion. Um, yeah. But if that's kind of like the, like an example of what Emery can do with recruitment, we did a podcast in the week about, you know, Emery's got to do these things to get to Europe and recruitment is obviously a, a huge thing for any football club. But to sign him for, what was it, 13 million or something off the top of my head and have him be the only addition to, like you said, Matt, Team Gerard, although Team Smith, actually. It's only Kamara and Diego Carlos who... Gerard would have signed and they obviously didn't play today. So everyone in that side, apart from Moreno, was a Dean Smith signing, I think. Um, 
yeah, so if that's like a kind of like this is what Emery can do with recruitment. Here's a left back who can come in and make an impact straight away, and it hasn't cost us a fortune. That kind of bodes well potentially for the summer ahead to go. Just let him do what he wants. He knows what he's doing. He'll find the right players for us. Yeah, precisely. And I don't think it'll be a case of him saying, "I want to buy this striker, this winger, this midfielder, and this right back." It, you know, because we have we're paying wages in, in the club for recruitment staff and scouts and whatever. So. There'll obviously be discussions with Langer um, and other recruitment staff, as I say, to, you know, if he wants a new right back, these are the, this is the sort of profile I want. And then he'll, they'll go away, come back and say, here's five. And then Mare- uh, Moreno, uh, Emery will have his list as well. And they'll sort of configure who they want and, and for what price and work it out. But yeah, that bodes well, considering he's picked one player or obviously two. I think I think I read somewhere that Duran, um, Villarreal, we're looking at Duran. A couple of uh, say a couple of years ago, last year before he went to Chicago Fire, which is interesting. So maybe he would have been on Emery's radar before Villa sort of looked in. I know that it was um, sort of an off chance that they found him. I think they were scouting a goalkeeper at Chicago Fire, and then Duran suddenly appeared on the pitch, and they thought actually this is quite good. Um, but yeah, anyway, so yeah, kind of ticks to the first two transfers have both worked for me. Obviously, Duran has only played a little bit, but he's clearly a good player. Um, so, yeah, going into the summer, again, that fills me with loads of confidence because even if we'd sign players that aren't good enough or they flop or whatever it may be, well, we've shown that with this squad, we can get, you know, top six, although it's only 17 games. We've shown that we can win five, sorry, six games in seven, go on crazy runs of form. So, if you can just add little bits here and there, whatever the price may be, I don't think we'll be signing players that are 50, 60 million because I don't think we need to. I think you can buy players that just fit Emery's system because there's loads of players in European football that can probably work for Emery and that can take on his um, his methods. And, you know, you look at someone like Ollie Watkins, for example, that's a player who's playing out of his skin and he's doing something that he hasn't been asked to do by any other manager, yet Emery comes in and says, right, you need to do these five things differently, whatever it may you know, maybe sprint less, do less off the ball running, stay in between the posts. So you almost feel like he could do that to, he could mould a different player anyway. Like this might not even be the way that Moreno played for Betis. I have no idea. I didn't watch him. So you almost feel like he could mould different players anyway. If Langer says to him, right, we want to buy this player or whoever says something in the recruitment meetings, Emery would be like, okay, well, I can do this with him and, you know, do it that way as well. So yeah, there's sort of endless ideas in terms of recruitment. Um, but yeah, that's one example that's worked. And yeah, you're right. I think that's something that will uh, bode well for the future. Mm-hmm. Just a quick correction from Jason in the comments. Uh, John McGinn is a Steve Bruce signing, of course. Probably the only good thing Steve Bruce did, really. Who's man is he? I forget. <sighs> it's been all of them, hasn't he? Um, <laughs> yeah, let's talk about... Um, I don't know. What do you want to talk about? I always kind of set the agenda here. What do you want to talk about? I know I want to do a piece about like playing out from the back in a sec, but is there anything else you want to go through? What was the first goal? Because we usually go through the goals. I can't remember. Oh, it's Troy Ray. Ah, yes, I remember. So Troy Ray versus Bailey. You just kind of touched on it earlier, Matt. Let's go a little bit more of that. Um, it's kind of sums up both career to a certain extent that Bailey, you know, even after Bertram's goal in midweek, Bailey still gets the start today, whether that's the right decision or not. Who knows? But, you know, fair play. If Emery wants to go with that, who, who are we to question? Who and I, Emery, at the moment? If that's what he wants, that's what he gets. And Bailey has pretty much one run down the wing, tries to do a bit, pulls his hamstring, classically on Bailey. We've seen it a million times before. He trudges off. Bertrand comes on. He scores the goal <laughs> that starts off, well, basically seals the deal until Watkins does his last kick of the game. And it's a tale of contrasting players again, isn't it? That Bertrand is 
sent packing by Steven Gerrard and comes back and scores two and two and looks a revitalised man to a certain extent. I think it's the value of having a squad of sorts though, isn't it? To be honest. And my nephew was saying when we're kicking towards the hole and oh Bailey's Bailey's gonna get we're kicking towards the hole and Bailey's gonna get his customary goal within the first ten minutes. Uh, yeah. but I don't think he got really involved until that that burst down down the um down the right flank. I thought he did well actually. Um I thought we you know <clears throat> I've seen it back since probably a better chance than I realised at the time. Um but we've seen it before, haven't we? That that physically he, he does seem a little bit susceptible to to getting these kind of muscle injuries, I suppose. And I know that that sometimes can be a bit of um you know a drawback from being an explosive winger, I suppose, when you when you you're trying to accelerate like that, you you do find that you can pick up muscle injuries like that. But I do feel for him a little bit. And you know, we've dug him out a few times, haven't we, as, as being a bit of a trick and flick merchant, but He's not really had that had run of games. He's been he's been a starter quite a lot throughout yeah. throughout the course of the season, but it's never really gone smoothly for him. As he, you know, he's he'll have had a he'll had a brilliant game, and then he'll have had a knock and missed a game, and then he'll come back and had another good game, or he, he's been a little bit off it. And I don't know, you know, it's it, it's an interesting one to see. I mean, it feels like he's been here ages. This is his first season, isn't it? He was only, only is it no second, second season? Second, second season, sorry. What con- what length contract did he did he sign? Four years, would you say? Four years, I guess. I'm not convinced he'll see out that four years. I don't know. I don't. I don't think he'll be in next season. I think going what I said on the podcast previously. I think it depends on Bailey because we need squad depth, especially if we're in Europe. And there is actually probably an argument to say, well, actually, if you had Bertrand Traore, you need Bailey. So maybe it isn't all down to Bailey. But I don't think he's going to want to stick around if we, because we're obviously going to buy another winger or forward that's going to probably play in this position. I think it's just up to him. Does he want to stay around? And the answer to that would probably be no. I think it's more dependent on his who's, who's going to want him. A player that's not really missed up the Premier League in two seasons is, is injury prone on probably high wages. There'll be teams that will want him in Germany, Italy, Spain, whatever. They will still have interest because the Premier League is is the Super League. Like you need to be a good player to play in the Premier League. And I do think there is something in the in him as well. In his last Bundesliga Bundesliga season, he did really well and a couple of years before then. So there is a player in there, I'm sure of it, but he just hasn't shown it enough at Villa. I think those are those kind of simple facts, and it just hasn't worked mm-hmm. up until now. It seems to be too late in the season for him to make a dramatic turnaround. And if he's pulled his hamstring, then what are you gonna do there? Um yeah, it's a shame. Like I remember, I spoke to his uh, Craig Butler, his agent, last year, and his story is really good. Like it's a very, you know, very long story. He's come from sort of nowhere to some to somewhere, and yeah, I, I really wanted it to work for him. But it just doesn't seem like it is at the moment, and I don't think that will change. If I'm honest, in the last weeks of the season, so I, I do think it's up to him what he wants to do with his career, and he has aspirations to be. <laughs> well. He, Craig Butler, anyway, said he wants to be one of the best wings in the Premier League and Villa's best player and sort of lead Villa up to where they are now. But you almost feel like Villa could be doing this without him, which is a bit sad, but um, that's the sort of truth of it at the moment. Also depends on the extent of an injury. If it's a six-week hamstring, he might not even play again this season. Yeah, that's what I mean. We're, we're I 8th of April now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't think we'll, we'll see him again. I think he'll be shifted out on loan because I don't think we'll be able to shift him on, on, on a permanent deal. I think he'll go out on loan somewhere on his contract. 
I do I feel, think I feel, feel sad about it because I don't don't and probably have several times, but I don't want to write him off because I think uh, <laughs> perhaps I've been seduced by the show rules. But football is a ruthless game. Can you rely on Leon Bailey to play third no, no, games but, in the Premier League? No. You know, he's like John says, I'm not saying this is necessarily going to equip him to, to come over this challenge, but you don't get to that level without having a real ability and be some kind of real character as well. Um, I so, get that, but there's loads of players that come in, go in football clubs that have had a long journey and not made it and move on. People, people aren't, aren't good fits. And I do get the sense that Leon Bailey and Aston Villa aren't necessarily a good fit. I think he could go, maybe not necessarily in the Premier League, but I think he could 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 go back to another high-quality league in, in Europe and, and, and do good things or do better, more consistent things than he does here. But it just feels a shame to be writing him off because whether we like it, like it or not, even if he's not been performing consistently to the standard that we, we want him to, he still contributed to this turnaround. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and Emery, Emery's no mug, and he still picked him when he's fit most weeks. Mm. So he clearly sees something there. He sees a player who he can work with. Um, I think the interesting thing for me is this probably probably the criticism that we, we heard of Adama Traore as well, a little bit, that it's all right being this flair player, but you've also got to be able to play in a system and, and and function in a system and and be prepared to sacrifice yourself sometimes and I think if Emery can get that out of him and 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 get him to be this this, this team player even when he's not firing on, on all cylinders like the team when the team's not firing on all cylinders like you said earlier John I think if players aren't playing well but the system protects them then I don't know I, I feel it just uh, perhaps I'm being a bit too soft but I just think I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I, I, if, if we look at next season as well, like we've just come through three games in a week and our players are probably knackered by it. And you look on the bench and you think, well, who's our options? We have 19-year-old John Duran who didn't come on today, I don't think. We had Seb Revan, two goalkeepers, I think. So if next season we're playing in Europe and we have to go to Bulgaria on a Thursday and then play on a Sunday, I don't think fans will be moaning that Leon Bailey comes on with 40 minutes to go when we're turning up against someone in Bulgaria. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't think... It, just because he's not informed doesn't mean, oh, I've been him off. Yeah, I don't think it has to work like that. There is a lot to say about squad depth. And we've been playing Saturday to Saturday for the last few years now. And so squad depth hasn't even been an issue. Um, one injury would have changed that. But luckily for us, Ollie Watkins is a machine. So I do think it's worth keeping him in the squad. But I understand that if an offer comes in that we can't turn down or like the Danny Ng situation, there's different sort of moving plates with it, then... Yeah, okay. There might be a conversation, but I don't think you know we should be saying, "Oh, he needs to go. He's not good enough and stuff like that." Because he clearly is good enough to be a Premier League player because he's got here in the first place. At the moment, he just doesn't fit in the system. But we have to give these players time. He's working with. He's been working with Emery for a few months, and in the space of sixteen games, yeah, he's possibly the only one who hasn't taken it like so far. Hmm. But that doesn't mean that he can't eventually. You know, so we'll see. I, I hope it works for him, and I do think there is a. You know, space for him to grow eventually, but I just don't think he'll be. He hasn't taken the opportunity. I don't think to sort of be a first eleven player and someone that we're going to re be relying on, like we probably thought we would have been um, when he first joined for like thirty million. But well, always no, no more reliable. Listen, I know he scored two two really big goals in the last. I was about to say that. Yeah, he's also awesome one answer. of those games. But to me, he's no more reliable an option than Bailey. To be honest, well, maybe maybe a run of games in the team as a regular starter may, may prove me wrong in that. But I think the fact that we've got both of them at the moment and he's got, well, 
see how bad his injury is, but he's got that option to change it up. Mm. I think we'll probably be looking for an upgrade in that position in, in the summer, yeah. if I'm being honest. Yeah, I agree with all that. And I think, like you said, John, about that he's not taken to it yet in 16, 17 games, whereas most of the other players in the squad have got used to the system now. The system isn't going to change. So if Bailey doesn't fit it, I think sure. I think Emery is ruthless to go, he doesn't fit my system, goodbye. It's as yeah. simple as that for me. I don't think he will be here whilst Emery is here. I just don't see it working out. I'd love to be proven wrong. And of course, it goes without saying, he's currently an Aston Villa player. I watched him play today and supported him, of course. But I just don't see it working out. Yeah, that's fair enough. And it might not do, but I just think it probably doesn't help his case that everyone else has been so brilliant at the same time. Like, Troy has come mm. on uh, and scored two goals. And it's like, well, actually, we can just use him and been off Bailey. It's, but, like, come on, it's been hasn't been long enough for him to make an impact. And he had an injury-riddled first campaign. He played under Gerrard for a bit, which weren't great for anyone. Um, his confidence, he's clearly a confidence player, and he doesn't have that at the moment. So let's not... Uh, sort of dig him out just because everyone else is playing well is my sort of feeling towards it and he does have a place in the squad for me but okay I understand that if he doesn't improve over the summer or whatever it may be and every and Emery has a decision to make whatever the decision I'm happy for him to take but I just think it's a, a bit harsh to sort of sing him out and say oh because you haven't fitted in yet then you can't stay here sort of thing I know that's not exactly what you're saying but that's the sort of feeling that I get from the, the fan base hmm. Okay, let's move on from here. Let's talk about Brendio a little bit. What did you make of him today, Matt? When he came off, he wasn't happy. Punched the dog out. I like the fact that he's, I like the fact that he's not happy when he comes off. I think it was difficult with um, the way Forrest played. I don't think he. I don't think he. He had much, many pockets of space to try and to try and take the ball. Um, I don't know. He's, I'm just trying to, to remember what he did. He, he came close, didn't he? From the from the one cutback from. Marino. Is he underneath your desk? Say again? Is he underneath your desk? Are you looking for him? I'm just scratching my leg, mate, to be honest. I'm not... <laughs> um, I don't know where my leg is unless I look at it. Um, <laughs> I thought he was okay. Well, to me, Marino was a was a star man. The back four got, got most, most of the plaudits. It's not that they were overly worked. Um and I, just, I thought that he probably was, in terms of the outfield players, he probably was was one of the the weaker ones. But again, kind of used. I don't mean this in a horrible way, but we used to him blowing blowing hot and cold a little bit. Um, I don't know what you put me on the spot. I wasn't I wasn't expecting to speak about him. He, he did so little. What 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 did you think? Well, that's kind of the point. He just <laughs> didn't really do do enough. And I thought just the you know what the way he came off. Walked off very slow, didn't look happy, punched the dug out. Is the more to that or is he just a little bit fired think up thinking, I'm frustrated at myself here? I think he's just frustrated. We know that he doesn't last more than 60 minutes in games. He just doesn't. And for whatever reason, I don't know exactly why, but I do think it's important to Emery's system in terms of how he wants to play. He's the sort of player that can, when we're building up, he can drop deep, take the ball, move the play on. And those are the sort of things that you probably don't, or that we might not realise, but he is important to the sort of the sort of bigger picture, shall I say. But yeah, there isn't lots of end product at the moment. I think his first assist came last week, if I'm not mistaken. And he had that one chance when Moreno yeah. back. Yeah, this week. Um, but he missed that chance when Moreno pulled it back. Um, yeah, just, I said it previously, but we haven't really seen Wendy hit four or five games consistently where you could say, oh, he's been, you know, on top of his game. Although I do think last week and the weeks before he was getting better. And today, again, kind of just fizzled out. Similar to Jacob Ramsey, really. I think both of them were quite sloppy in possession. Um, mm. We know he's a good player, but I just, yeah, you're looking for him to kind of just 
be the guy, like take the game by the scruff of the neck. But I don't yeah. remember him doing that in a game since he joined. And I think there's parts of his game that are really good and they suit Emery down to the ground, don't get me wrong. But if you're looking for him to sort of own up to his club record price tag, you want him to be doing everything almost. And maybe we're putting too much pressure on him for that reason. But I think that's because we know he can be that good. Um, yeah, I guess it's just a bit underwhelming every now and again, one day. I, I just find that he, I find sometimes that he, he thinks the basics are boring. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. he thinks he's got to, he's got to do things on that. Listen, I know that's the way he plays. And if we, you know, probably contradicting what you say in a, in, a, in a way, John, I don't want to, because we want him to be yeah. that player who plays on the half turn and gets between the lines and, and moves things quickly. But I get the, I get the feeling sometimes that he thinks a five yard ball is kind of beneath him and he's got to kind of stroke the outside of his boot and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And, I think that that's the that's the frustrating thing for me. He's not always going to be this kind of magician, but on times when he's not got that space, he's got to look after the ball and he's got to, you know. I actually think, and this goes against the old man in me who thinks footballers should be hard as, hard as nails and, you know, kind of kick around a big pig's bladder and all this kind of stuff. But I actually think because he's he's so little, he should he should probably go to the, the Jack Greeley school of winning fouls. A yeah. little bit more often, and when people are coming into him, I think he, I like, I like the fact that he, he he's got this low centre of gravity and wants to stand his ground. But if you're going to get a, a big hairy ass centre half cleaning you out, just you know, be a little bit clever at times. Because mm. um, I think we, I think we squander possession sometimes because he doesn't want to do those simple things like yeah. hold the ball or or take the free or you know or win the free kick and stuff. But listen. There's been enough occasions when he's done really good things. You know, he's, he might not have got many assists, but he, he still weighs in with a with a decent amount of goals. And I think, uh, you know, it looks like of the three, of the Holy Trinity that was that was announced by Christian Perslow to, to sign, to, to replace Jack Grealish, Danny Ings has gone, Leon Bailey's hamstring's gone, and Buendia, you know, he's there without... Head's Bailey, gone. <laughs> even, if we, even if we're not seeing the best out of him. So, again... He'll, he'll benefit from from really good coaching week in week out. So I think there's a lot more lot more to come from him as well. And I do think he is very important, as I say, to those little things that we probably don't even appreciate. But in terms of the build up and how we're playing, mm. we all kind of say, "Oh, we're playing great football and we're playing for up the back, and it, it, it's all working." Yeah, but how's it working? It's working because Wendy comes deep and he picks up the ball, collects it, moves it on. So he's playing a key role. It's just that you want him to be that spark and sort of get bums off seats, but he isn't quite doing that and hasn't really for the last two and a half years. Um, but that's not a sort of bashing him. It's just, we know he's that good and can be that good. But yeah, just just little bits of his game he can tweak. And I think with Emery working with him over the summer and stuff like that, it will come on again, leaps and bounds, hopefully. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I think if you're talking about kind of like the right-sided midfielder or the second striker off Watkins or the number 10 or whatever, I think long-term with Emery's recruitment, there's probably one space in the team for Traore, Bailey and Wendia. I think they're all kind of roughly competing for the, the similar role in whatever system we're playing. Not that Wendia's going to play off the right or whatever, but do you know what I mean? They all kind of effectively do the same job in the team. 
So it's one of those three long term. I don't think they could all be starting but, in, in the same side. True, but I almost think that they cover two positions though at the same point because I think yeah, Batman, yeah. they could play as a two with Watkins and then mm. could also go back into midfield. But yeah, that's correct. And we also have Coutinho, by the way. Completely forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whatever happens with him in the summer. Um, there's a comment saying, can we have some positive chat, please? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Happy with sick and all that. We'll get to that in a bit, of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's so bored of that now. Yeah. It's so bored of no, that. <laughs> winning every week. It's easy, isn't it? Um, yeah, I don't. I can't really like go on any of the, any of the other players individually. Really, um, we've kind of already kind of said like Ming's very good. I think he won pretty much every header. Can we not know, talk the, about Ollie Watkins? Yes, Ollie Watkins is the next on the list. Um, yeah, just a phenomenon, really. Watkins is almost a bit of like a freak of nature that how kind of fit he is, and just like the way that he's flicked this kind of. He's now good at finishing. <laughs> like, where did that come from? Like the, the little dink for the goal is top class. You know, if you'd, you know, he got booked for taking his shirt off. Yeah. If you'd got like a six pack like that, you wouldn't wear a shirt, would you? So, do you think he should? If he started the, if he started the game without his shirt on, would you still get? <laughs> would he get booked for that? He hasn't, he hasn't taken it off. My question: Why do they even book them for that? What's the rule? Why, why is that not allowed? I know they do it. It's been the rule for ages. What is the rule? Why can't you take your shirt off? I don't know. Is it inciting a mass orgy or something like that? I don't know. <laughs> Possibly. I, don't what, I don't know what they think it is. Hey, actually, just away from Ollie Watkins, I had the most thorough search by a steward that I've ever had today outside really? of the park. So did I. I might have been the same one. Honestly, where do you sit? you in the Trinity or? I was on, yeah, I was in um, section B or something. Can I have to turn around and got. I, I oh, I mate, was, down. Mine was so handsy, I'm telling you. He said, uh, he said, what, what, he said, what's that, that in your pocket? I thought, well, listen, mate, until you gave me an all-over massage, there was, there was nothing there, to be honest. But he was so, he was so, honestly, I thought he was going to reach for the oils at some stage. And, you know, he didn't even, he didn't find anything. He didn't even find a, a, a the, the bottle of a, the, of a, or a, you know, the little Pepsi Max top that you stick in your sock. He didn't even, he didn't even yeah. find that, mate, but he was, uh, he was proper handsy. I always think it's strange that, like, that, you know, when they, they scan you with the beeping thing for any whatever they're looking for. Go over your pocket and there's a phone or a wallet or a pair of keys or whatever. I had a woman do mine. She scanned down past my legs, shot, beeped. Phone, I presume? Yeah. Wallet, I presume? Yeah. Okay. And you go, what's the point of any of that? Yeah. Weird. Um, Ollie Watkins. Ollie Watkins. Yeah. Also, off topic from Ollie Watkins, partly, but Ash's tweet for the goal that Ollie Watkins scored, uh, so good the way it was worded. Just like, goal Ollie Watkins, blah, blah, great form for him, tops off. And it read like, <laughs> tops off for Ash in, in the press box, the way it was worded. Maybe laugh, stupid. Um, yes, anyway, uh, Ollie Watkins, the player, the footballer, the finisher, um, machine, the man, the mountain, whatever you want to call him. Just, yeah, this mad turn of form. I don't know what the figures are now. Is it nine goals in a, is it 11 games or something like that? I've read some quotes post-match from I think, saying Did that he wouldn't have done that little dink finish um, earlier this season. So it's clearly got, yeah. clearly got confidence coursing through his veins. And you could see that, you know, he probably took the wrong option, but from the first couple of minutes when he, he, he dragged that shot wide. But he's, I've always found with Ollie Watkins, he's better when he's decisive rather than when he's he's got too much time to think and yeah. he's actually I don't know whether this is Emery's coaching or whether it's come from the confidence of being the main man with not having to share the jersey with Danny Ings or whatever but you can see now that his first thought 
is to get the ball as near to the goal as you. I know that sounds stupid for us. Yeah, that should be a striker's first thought anyway. But I don't think it's the hesitancy that, that infected him previously. Mm-hmm. And that that's showing. I thought just the way he, he moved the ball out of his feet, first of all, to, to create the space for the shot. And then the little dinked finish was that's top class, top class Premier League finishing. That yeah. to me. Uh, Which I wasn't sure he was capable of that even six months ago. Yeah. But his last two goals, the goal last week, the the, the lofted finish at, at Stamford Bridge and uh, his little dinked his little dink finish today is the, the the hallmark of somebody who's who backs himself basically and we can see it with the form that he's in. I almost thought the chance was gone a little bit at one stage as well, but then it was almost that we were just toying with Forrest. And we were like, we were going to score the goal on our terms. We're just going to play it around you. And yeah, it's just really, really nice, wasn't it, John? Uh, yeah. Yeah, top finish. Again, someone who's in form, as he said. Um, it's just subtle tweaks that Emery's made to his game that have just completely transformed him. Like, scoring nine goals in 11 games, I think, is the stat. That isn't, all of a sudden, that isn't just a bit of a purple patch. That's, no. we have a number nine that's playing in a system that's just getting the absolute best out of him. And, like, it isn't just four goals in three games or whatever. He's doing that now over a period of time where he's one of the best strikes in the division. Um He's been working closely with a individual performance coach, just a striker coach that um, Emery brought in when he took over. I forget his name, Antonio Rodriguez, I think. Um, and he's been asking Watkins to sort of study uh, Emery's former strikers, uh, Abamyang, Carlos Bakrit Sevilla, and Cavani, who had a PSG. He might have even had him at Valencia, maybe not, I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, he's just asking him to do things differently. He's taking less sprints than what he was under Gerard, less off the ball runs and um, fewer uh, touches as well of the ball. So he's less involved in build up, but he's more obviously being you know, that sort of poacher that you wouldn't have associated Watkins' game with being or that he would be able to do that. Like if you said, okay, so who who's going to be the poacher in this team? Is it Danny Ings or Ollie Watkins? You know, long term, who just sell or you know, whatever it may be. You wouldn't have probably said Ollie Watkins has to be that player or you would have said mm. at least Danny Ings is best suited to be it. Um, his shot conversion rate is crazy at the moment. It's gone from 4.6 under Gerrard to 25% under Emery, which is oh, massive. That's you know, uh, huge numbers. And of all players to have had over 50 shots in Europe's top five leagues, one uh, no one has had better shot accuracy than Watkins as well. So for all those little tweaks that Emery's made in, in terms of... Um, you know, run less, conserve your energy, be the poacher. Watkins is actually doing the poacher part by himself, if that makes sense. Like, he's just mm-hmm. taking chances. He's having more shots on target than what he was by a lot under Gerard. Um, more shots per 90 as well. So, for all the little tweaks he's making in his game, Emery, to be the poacher, he's still got to do the thing, <laughs> which is put balls in the back of the net, and that's what he's doing. And that's something that you can't coach. That's what everyone says. And he isn't... You know, he obviously come from us from being um, a striker for one season in the championship, and he still misses you know a chance every now and again. But for the amount that we create around him, you almost feel like he can score a goal every game. Like if he isn't going to score, he'll probably miss two chances or three. But in this kind of form that he's in, he's going to take one of those, isn't he? So mm. you're almost thinking we have a twenty goal striker here, not twenty goal striker in the championship because that's what I associate as a twenty goal striker. It's in the Premier League. So yeah, how Emery's transformed his game is. Um, crazy and how we could see it as well that's just a sign of obviously an elite coach yeah you wouldn't have thought Ollie Watkins is that player you'd have thought he was exceptional at everything else in terms of build up play um he can play off the wing he can run the channels he can do all of that and I've you know sung his praises in terms of high press in his first season he was um the only player to have had 
100 jewels and ground and aerial jewels or something can strikers and just different stats that basically show that he's a very aggressive player and he can put pressure on the defenders but in terms of finishing chances you wouldn't associate that with him and now you do so yeah you know it's kind of full marks for Emery but at the same time for Watkins to do that and change his game so much um, yeah staggering really yeah the kind of one redeeming factor of Watkins game and he wasn't really in form and scoring goals was that he'll work hard and he'll be involved in the build-up play. Yeah. So if you just said six months ago, he'll be less involved in the build-up play, but all of a sudden he'll be able to finish. You'd have gone, no, he won't. So how is he going to do that? How is that going to work? It is, yeah, exactly. And that's what we thought. We thought, oh, okay, we've got an exceptional player who can do one side of the game really well. And if you can partner him with someone who can get 20 goals, then great. Yeah. All of a sudden he's the full package. Like, what a player to have and someone that's just coming into the form of his career is a machine. He never gets injured. Touch wood. Um, <laughs> yeah. Please touch wood. He's missed more than like two games in like three years. So what can't the man do? Seriously, it's incredible. And I never wrote him off in terms of, oh, we should be playing him or we should sell him because of this reason. I always said we should partner him or we should put more around him or something to do with that. But I'll admit, I didn't think he'd be scoring this amount of goals and doing it not just as a purple patch, but doing it over the course of 10, 12 games, whatever it may be, and and doing it well. And again, there's sort of no stopping him. Like, how, how can you? He, he gives you everything, really. If he's putting goals to his game as well, that's uh, I'm not putting a price on his name, but that's um, serious money that you're talking there. So, not that we're selling him, we're obviously going to keep him. But he, yeah, I, I saw back. some. I saw somebody tweeted earlier saying that coming back from the game, I don't know who it was, apologies if they're watching this, but they said like Ollie Watkins is like my favourite striker. He might not be the best, but he's my favourite striker to watch in in the time I've been going. I don't know how old this person was, of course. For you, Matt, who is obviously a little bit older, like I mentioned earlier, and bleeping away with notifications. Yeah, I don't know what's what's going on. Every time you say Ollie Watkins, I get a a ping on my screen. Uh, I think think not only is it a credit to... Emery's coaching, but and the the, the coaching of the, the the team around Emery, it's a credit to I don't know Watkins's capacity to learn as well. Because like you say, he's not been playing as a centre forward for that long. He's not a kid. He's twenty seven years old. So for him to be fashioned into this all singing, all dancing, goal scoring centre forward uh, in the space of two or three months, you know, it shows that he's got this willingness to develop. And to learn, he's, and, he's in his prime, really. Yeah, yeah, he is. And I, I think I don't know where it was. I saw a stats graphic earlier in the week saying that the the rate that he was scoring at per the amount of goals he played for for Villa or played in the Premier League puts him above. I, I wouldn't want to dig out the names. I know Dean Saunders was was one of them, but hmm. he's probably kind of fourth or fifth in the list of Villa Premier League strikers goals per their first hundred games or whatever whatever the stat was, and. Yeah. I don't think we've, you know, certainly me, I don't think I've appreciated, listen, we've been, the scoring streak he's on has obviously opened all of our eyes, but, you know, he's he scored 10 goals for the last three seasons, is that is that correct? Um, mm-hmm. In the Premier League, in, in teams that have, that have really struggled. Um, so, you know, I think, I think everybody's saying, you know, he's Southgate looking and all this kind of thing. Again, <sighs> I don't, I don't, I want him to go under the radar. You know, I don't know whether you can do that when you're scoring, scoring a goal or or more a game. But I don't. It sounds really bad because Ollie Watkins is thinking. I know he's an avid avid viewer and and, and listener. Ollie Watkins is thinking, shut up, Matt. I don't want him to play for England necessarily. John said that we're already kind of pushing our luck with him in terms of him him, him staying fit and, and all that kind of thing. Mm. 
I don't want him injured, and I don't want him disappearing up the M6 to to one of the the, the supposed big big super clubs. So, you know, let's kind of let let's enjoy him while we can. But I don't know. I always I always bring things back round to this kind of fear of, you know, things are going so well that. <laughs> Let's not tell anybody about it. Do you know what I mean? Let's just keep Ollie Watkins' his golf form and Aston Villa's rolling up the table. Let's just keep it amongst ourselves. Do you know what I mean? We don't. We don't need to broadcast it. Um, I'm not asking you to to say is he better than Dwight York and things like that. But where does he rank in terms of strikers? I just said about like, somebody saying he was their favourite, not necessarily best. Where do he rank for you in strikers you've seen in terms of you know, how much you like him, kind of thing? Yeah, well, we're talking in the. I know football did exist be- before Premier League, but if we, we talk Premier League here, we've had Dalian Atkinson, Dean Saunders, Dwight York, down Dublin, um, Ben Tecker, Carew, um, probably uh, uh, Angel, and that kind of thing. It's very really difficult. I mean, my my, my first, my uh, I'm an old man, so my first thought is always to think that the, the, the you know the nostalgia, the players from yesteryear were better, but. Probably sounds really crap and a bit of a bit of a, a cop out, but let's see where we are in two or three years. If mm. the play, a lot of the players that I've mentioned, with the exception of the the recent one, well, I suppose even like Gabby and John Carew were were playing and scoring goals and leading the line in teams that were challenging in the top six. So yeah. let's see what Ollie Watkins can do with that. Hopefully for another two, three, four, five years, years more. But <clears throat> he's winning me over. To be honest, I, I, you know, I, I must admit that I wasn't 100% convinced in terms of sometimes I thought his, his hold-up play wasn't great. Uh, you know, sometimes I thought that, you know, he'd probably need 10 chances to score one. But he's becoming a more rounded player now. And let's hope that this is the future rather than just a kind of purple patch, just this confidence that's, that's seen him through. Let's hope that he really has developed and, and kind of morphed into into a top six top six Premier League striker. That's the point as well. He's, he, he's look, he looks like the full package now. He's added, obviously, goals. But today, I thought he bullied that Felipe for Forrest. Every yeah. time the ball come up, he'd, he'd use his body really well. Um, we know he can win headers anyway. I think he was like the first or the last player to score like a hat-trick of headers in the championship or something. So he has the full package. It's just putting it all together in every game and consistently. And obviously, that's the challenge to be one of the best strikers um, in the Premier League, which is what we need. Uh, so, yeah. Over the last six, seven, ten games since Emery's come in, even he has been that. So he just needs to continue to do it. And um, even if he's playing at you know seventy five percent of what he can do, I still think that's a brilliant player. And couple that with who's going to partner him next season, because again, this is the team that Emery has inherited from Steven Gerrard and or Dean Smith as it was today without Kamara and Carlos. Um, he hasn't partnered him and used different players around him that's going to get the absolute best out of Watkins. So again, that sort of goes for different players in the team, but to get the best out of Watkins, that's still to come for me. So again, really exciting and hopefully he can, can uh, kick on. And I think he's only got two years on his deal, I think. I think that's right. Um, he, he signed When he signed in 2020, whatever contract he had then, he hasn't had a new one since. So yeah, he's he, three, he needs, almost three years into that. We need, to, um, we, need, we need to wrap that up this summer, or if not before, just because you don't want conversations yeah. to start going around again. He's probably going to play for England in the summer. And then we all know what happens from there. So yeah, get him on a new deal, paying what he needs, big, um, big extension. Yeah, there's your striker for the next four years, and he's proven that he can do it. So yeah, I'm really, really happy for him. Do you think that that Watkins? We've spoken about him benefiting 
playing better individually and benefiting from from coaching in that sense. But do you think Watkins has benefited from the system as well? That he's not he doesn't look isolated so much now. You know, obviously your tactical podcast with your man um, last week about Villa trying to move the ball up the pitch methodically with with these you know playing in triangles. Do you think? Ollie Watkins' hold-up play looks better because he hasn't got to hold it for 20 seconds now. Yeah, He's got to hold it for yeah. five seconds and then there's going to be an out ball for him. Do you think that, that's, that's helped as well? Yeah, and he's always got options, hasn't he? As, as you yeah. suggest, Matt, he's got a, a John McGinn rampaging past him. He's got a Buendia there. He's got another play. There's always three or four players around him. He's got Moreno coming on the overlap. The system just works perfectly for the, for the players that we have. And I don't know why we didn't think about it before when we all said, oh, 43 one's the best thing after Aaron Danks beat Brentford. Now, actually, this formation gets the best out of John McGinn in the forward capacity. Ollie Watkins, because he's got space and players around him. There isn't a big burden on him to score every game, although he is. There are players <laughs> around him that can do that as well. And as I say, the player that's going to come in or the couple of players that are going to come in in the summer are going to complement him. So, yeah, it's um, it all works perfectly for him and he's in the best form of his career. He must be loving life because it doesn't show any sign of letting up. But as I say, he's going to have to miss two or three chances in a game to uh, to not score, if that makes sense. So he's always going to have a chance to then score in the next game and it all seems to be working for him and that's always going to better, uh, benefit us moving forward. I just wanted to do a, a segment of its own on the playing out from the back. Obviously, we've talked about it a lot over the last few weeks that we've been doing more podcasts, like you just mentioned, Matt. The one we did with John McKenzie was purely about that and a, a tactical um, perspective on, on Unai Emery. Uh, today, it's almost that it's not that it didn't work, but it's the first time I think that we've come up against a side, especially at home at least, anyway, that the opposition didn't really press us. Maybe one of the first times I really thought, oh, they've kind of pressed us into something like 25 minutes in or something. So like for Villa to kind of sit back, wait patiently for the opposition to press. When the opposition don't press, you kind of think well, this waiting around at the back doesn't isn't isn't really working because Villa are expected to then go and break the side down and they haven't got the space to do it because Forrest are just going to sit deep and go, no, okay, you do your thing. We don't really care because we're happy to see out this game nil-nil. You said, John, before we came on, that they were kind of pressing on Kamara, um, Kamara Louise and McGinn instead of the centre-halves. Yeah. And then in the second half, my, me and my dad were talking at half-time and he's saying that when they are on the ball, Mings and Concert, they've got to, they've got to run with the ball and they've got to bring it out further. And straight away in the second half, we came out and scored and Mings or Concert went marauding into the into the opposition half. It's like, oh, yes, OK, we've seen something a bit different this time. Um, so I'm not saying we've got to throw the kind of baby out with the bathwater. If, if the opposition doesn't press, we go, OK, well, let's just start lumping it long. You've still got to kind of stick to it. But I felt that was the first time where the opposition didn't press us. And it was kind of like, OK, um, who know what do we do now? Like, they're not pressing us. What, what do we do? Is that fair or am I just being stupid and I saw it wrong? No, you were. that that, that, that was exactly what it was. And it's, this is where it comes down to the players in terms of they've got to figure out for themselves and as they did today well, I think. Uh, it's coming up with solutions to sort of realise, right, this is what the um, opposition have done. As I say, it showed us respect because Steve Cooper thought, well, we're not going to press their centre-arse because Villa in the last five games have won or whatever, or, you know, yeah. almost all the games. So it's clearly working for them. Instead, we'll press the two uh, holding midfielders who always receive the ball off concert and Mings who then play it to Buende. Instead, we'll knock that one out and just let Ming's concert have the ball, have space with it. But they've got to work out what to do with it. They've got to work out which ball to play um, and when. And if we win it in the middle of the pitch, then we can go at them. So, yeah, we worked it out well, you know, if that makes sense. But I think it's more of a case of, okay, well, now we know that we're good. We've got to be able to be 
um, to adapt to the different situations as well. Like Brighton do it really well. Man City obviously do it really well with Guardiola. But those players are so intelligent that they know how to get out of those situations when an opponent is setting traps across the pitch and stuff. And that's what we have to do. So up until now, most teams have just pressed the centre-backs and the fans have been like, oh God, what's going on? But today there hasn't been much of that because they didn't do that. They pressed the midfielders instead and we didn't lose the ball um, because Mings and Constant made good selections and good choices. So... Yeah, it's something that we're going to have to learn and other teams will do it differently. They'll press the centre-backs and they won't, then they'll drop off and set traps elsewhere. But today it worked because I think Forrest were doing something that they haven't done as well. They went free at the back, which they haven't done before, um, or at least not as much as um, their other systems. So yeah, today it worked, but again, there's going to be bigger tests and we're just going to have to overcome them because all of a sudden we're quite a good team and we're in sixth, so teams are going to respect yeah. us. They're going to we're going to have to work out how to play differently under Emery to what we have so far. So it's only, it's, that's only a good thing for next season as well. Yeah, it was a, it was a weird one because um, with the exception of Brennan Johnson, who was trying to do half a press on his own a little bit, yeah. I don't know whether you're more nervous about when Mings and Concer have been given the ball in tight spaces and being pressed, or whether I was more nervous about when they got all the time in the world, <laughs> what they were going to do yeah. with it. You know what I mean? Like I say, it's, it's a different challenge, isn't it? And that's where you... You know, you you need your rather than your defensive midfielders coming and starting things off. They were like hidden. You know, you couldn't really see them in there because yeah. they were they were surrounded. So it's asking your two centre halves to, to to start things off. And I thought I did. I thought they did okay. You know, there's a, a couple of times where I think there's a pass in the second half where I think Conza found found Ramsey in acres somehow with a yeah. little. A little ball over the over the box, uh, over the you know, yeah. ball over over the top. So, like you like we've said, we've said before, there's going to be different challenges each week, and the only way Villa are going to learn to adapt is by coming up against those challenges. Yeah. And we've won the game today, and it wasn't it wasn't particularly pretty at times. And you know, I'm glad glad we did get that second goal because it gives the gives the result a better complexion. And it puts us in positive goal difference, but. I don't know. It's uh, I, I can feel myself getting greedy, thinking winning's yeah. not enough. You know, when and when did when did we get these delusions of grandeur that winning wasn't enough? No, I don't <laughs> just want to. I don't just want to win. I want to be kind of dazzled. You're like, well, chill out a bit, Matt. You know, you, you just look at the table. That should dazzle you enough, really. It's, um, not, it's nice to win in different ways, though, because like you said, like you said earlier, John, we can't just go. Well, we're always going to play this way against the opposition, and they will play this way against us. So we just rinse and repeat all the time. Eventually, someone will work us out, and Steve Cooper goes, "Well, if we press the centre backs, they'll do this to us and cut us apart. So let's try something different." And like we said, like you said earlier, credit to Forest in that sense that they did set up in a different way, and that that did start for us. It did work because I was fully expecting in like the whole first half, pretty much, that this is going to be one of those games where maybe the run comes to an end and Forest nick something, and we come on here after and go, "That's really annoying. That's really frustrating." Forest have done a job on us effectively because they've stopped playing us the way we want to play. Um, but to still have that kind of control over over the opposition and over the game in the long run, and to be able to tweak things at half time, you knew that Villa weren't going to be as bad. Well, not that they were bad, but they weren't going to be the, the same in the second half. Um, and to come out and score straight away, I was like, oh, okay, they know what they're doing. They, they've tried something different now, and, and everything's fine. I just felt we were. There was a couple of long balls from Mings, maybe in the first half. I thought, oh no, we're kind of reverting back to type a little bit. We're we're getting, we're trying to force it. We're trying to rush it. Like let's just stick to the plan. Try a few little tweaks. Don't just go back to route one because it currently isn't working. Just have patience, and hopefully, in in time, 
as in the next 60 minutes or so, it'll all kind of sort itself out. Yeah, and that's why I think the goal was so important at the time that we scored it too. And that's why Cooper was probably so frustrated because they they had a good low block. They, they weren't giving away many chances and we were not struggling at the time, but you could tell that if that game kept going on and it got 60 minutes, the crowd would start to, you know, get on, not on the players' backs, but get frustrated when we couldn't play those passes that we want to be playing and Mings would be going long as he was, um, which is fine. Again, it's just them trying to work out how to get over what Forrest were doing. But over the next few games, it'd be interesting because when we play teams like uh, Newcastle, Brentford, Tottenham, all those teams are around us. So you almost think like they're not going to be playing like Forrest and trying to negate us. Instead, they're going to play their own way, which will yeah. allow us to play the way that we have been playing under Emery, basically, and getting good results. So, and I'm kind of thinking, well, today was a good test because it allows us to do something different and the players will learn from it. So that's good for next season. But because we want to get Europe this season, we've got to try and beat uh, you know, Brentford, Newcastle, Spurs, whoever it may be, Liverpool, and they're going to play the way that they always play because they are a top team. You know, they're all top teams in their own sort of in their own right, and they're not going to be thinking, oh, you know, we're going to set up to stop Villa. They're going to set up to beat Villa, if that makes sense. So, mm. hopefully, we can just play as we've been playing before today, and it's been all sort of like very easy on the eye in terms of well, we've done it again. Whereas today was a bit of a different sort of feel to it. It was almost like a we're going to have to beat Forest by combating what they're trying to do to us. Um, so, yeah, hopefully in the next few weeks, we won't be tested in different ways as we were today. But again, yeah, really good lesson. And to come away with three points and a 2-0 win, being comfortable with it as well. You know, they Did they have any chances? I don't think they did. Not really. I don't remember a chance where... Martin so. made a simple save, hasn't he? And there's one where they're split yeah. down the middle and he's come off his line and cleared, cleared. From the edge yeah. of the box, yeah, but that, yeah, that was there was no one under the cosh necessarily. But yeah, there, there was that one thing Danilo went through and had a left foot shot, but yeah, Martinez, yeah, he, just as a quick note, Martinez, he makes everything so easy like the amount of corners that come in right onto him, yeah, just out the sky. We, we always, I anyway, take it for granted because you don't realize how important that is. Other goalkeepers would just flap at it and <laughs> get it, try and do anything yeah. else. Catch it. Um, you just take all the pressure off the defence, and that again allows us to be in control. There was no stress today, um, and again, I think the crowd were good in that way. Like we were, we weren't, you know, massively put under pressure um, in terms of the two centre backs, but the crowd weren't negative when we went back to the goalkeeper or anything like that, which I think is good. Probably because we're yeah. winning games, and it shows that it's working. Probably helps, but yeah. Also, let's not forget, Matt. This is a a week of three games, something that Villa haven't done for for a long time. Not that I can remember anyway. It will have happened at some point, but three games that we've had to put a lot into, and we've got nine points as our reward. So, if there are moments where things are maybe a little bit sloppy or, or not quite up to the kind of tenth gear that we're used to, it's, it's maybe taken it out of the players a little bit this week. That it's been pretty much the whole, the same first eleven all the way through those three games, and it's it's taken a bit out of them. It's now we've got Newcastle is a full week away, Brentford is a full week away after that. It's time to reset, time to go back to Bodymore, work out a plan specific for that game, and and kind of go again. To quote Paul Lambert. God, quoting Paul Lambert. Um, I thought we were really, really fine. Um, <laughs> in terms of, um, yeah, listen, it's, it's one that can work two ways, can't it? You've got the winning momentum and you're thinking, I want to play again as soon as possible. Yeah. But equally, it's full throttle Premier League football with, you know, highly tuned athletes up against you as well. So I think he's just showed that not only can he kind of manage games, but he can he can manage manage the squad as well and knows what they're capable of and knows how much he can ask from them. Um, as a complete aside, what did you think of? Um, Here we go. 
What did you think of Prize Where It Lies today? Oh, yes. Well, I was just about to say, once we finish that chat, can we like talk about all the other random nonsense that we normally do? Because I've got a few shout-outs and stuff as well. Prize Where It Lies, that was the best bit of the day up until like 46 minutes when we scored the goal in the second half. First yes. half, like, oh, yeah, a bit annoying, a bit frustrating. Prize Where It Lies, oh, yes, here we go. So... Getting that big flag out for three people, always annoying. So you think, do a load of them. If you're going to put that effort in, get it all out. First girl or woman, I couldn't see from where I was, slipping over. We all laughed, didn't we? Didn't we? I didn't uh, think. Oh, yeah, come on, you didn't laugh. Um, yeah, obviously shame, but yeah, funny still. Um, second guy, I mean, it was like a really long wait, wasn't it, for the second guy? And then he just put it out for a throw-in <laughs> again. Well, he, he, yeah, he, he wanted the ball move, didn't he? He thought he was going to do it. His line yeah. of vision, wasn't it? You could just see it. <laughs> yeah. I like his preparation, to be fair. Yeah, but then if you're going to put it out for a throw-in, you've wasted all of our time. And then the last <laughs> guy getting it, but getting it and landing on the monster section. Like, no disrespect to monster if they want to sponsor the podcast. Yeah, send me an email. But getting a year's supply of monster. Come on, I can't think of anybody there. in that ground who needed it less than him. Because he did you see he did a slide after he'd scored, after he got it. But the last thing that bloke needs is some kind of artificial kind of energy boost, to be honest. Uh, and another thing, a couple of more things about prize where it lies, and this is why I brought it up. I've only just realized today what a crap title that is. Right. Prize where it lies. <laughs> where the ball crap, lies, you win that prize. That's yeah, no, prize. but I've got I've got some more I've got some alternatives. So <laughs> okay. But gear in the sphere. Because if you get it in the sphere, you win the gear. Yeah. Oh, that's much better. Or bling in the ring. That one, <laughs> okay. <you> like that? <laughs> that's better. That feels like Mr. T. So bling, bling in the ring. And have you seen the little wheelbarrow it folds down into? <laughs> yeah. That it's a massive true. circle and it folds like origami, mate. Honestly, blow, blow, blows my mind. <laughs> Uh, I love the little random section at the podcast where all the viewers suddenly start to dip off and leave and go, oh, I've finished with the football now. It's 10 o'clock. I'm going to bed. Um, shout outs. I've got a couple. I know you've got one as well, John. Do you want to get yours out of the way first? Uh, yeah. Out of the way, as if we just go, yeah, shout outs, get them out of the way. Yeah, I, I met Paul before the game, so it was nice to meet you, Paul Davis. And uh, he loves the podcast <laughs> and says that he comments as well. So, yeah, thanks for the uh, support. Okay, well, hopefully, Paul Davis, if you are watching, I'd like to see a comment underneath. And if you like, he's got a random username that isn't Paul Davis. Can you like comment, hi, I'm Paul, yeah. uh, I met John or something, so we know it's you. <laughs> um, there's two for me. I saw Jude Aston before the game. He, he um, shouted me as I was walking into the ground and said, Dan, Dan. And I was like, uh, turn around and he, he was there. Um, and he's like, oh, I've had people coming up to me saying that, that they recognise me from the video and said, like, I'm inspirational, all these kind of things. I was like, oh, that's really nice. He said, I'll send you a video at some point of me, like, saying thanks to people if you want to, like, post it or whatever. So that's really nice. So Jude, uh, top man as ever. The second one was in the ground. Guy came up to me called Steve. And I wrote it down on a text to John because I wanted to prove Steve wrong if Steve is eventually watching. He was like the... Is that like one of the medical team, like on the, not for Villa or, or Forest, but like for, you know, they've got like emergency medical, whatever. Yeah. yeah, maybe. He was on the pitch and he came up up to the stand and said, Dan, can I shout your hand? And I said, yeah, shook his hand. He said, love the podcast, love all you guys uh, tune in every week, blah, 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 usual stuff, which I said, thank you for. And as he went to walk off, I was like, oh, what's your name? He said, Steve, but you won't remember because you never remember. So I said, I'll write it down. So, Steve, <laughs> thank you for saying uh, that you love the podcast. We appreciate it. I, I am terrible with names, though. Um, so, yeah, I'll put, it's Steve. Let me remember that later. I also texted John saying, <laughs> Bailey's cheese string hamstrings have got, <laughs> which um, probably could have worded it better, but that's how I kind of feel about it. 
Um, so that's my shout outs done. Is there any other little bits of nonsense that you want to get out of the way, Matt? There's usually something. We've dragged on a bit, haven't we, to be honest? Um, a lot of football chat today, though. The only, the only thing was just because it's obviously Easter tomorrow. What's your kind of, what's your chocolate of choice? Because I can't look beyond. My wife's got like a big bag of lint at the moment, but they're oh, just yeah. too, they're too sickly. So I'm a Cadbury's man, mate. I know it's a bit bit boring, but I don't think you can beat Cadbury's. I quite like a Nestle egg. Yeah. I like Nestle, I like some kind of Nestle chocolate, like a Kit Kat or something. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> That's what I like. I was bought a Linteg though. I had a Linteg for my other half, one of the blue ones. They're quite expensive, to be honest. But she said, I got you this because I thought you'd like it. And I do like it. It's nice. Do you open yours like on Easter Sunday? Are you one of them? Or have you already opened it and eaten it? I just I don't I just eat all the kids' ones, to be honest, and yeah. just say, Oh, you your nan and granddad must have forgotten you this year and, and, and that kind of thing, <laughs> to be honest, with chocolate all around my mouth. Um yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. I'll, yeah, I'll I think it. we're done. A couple of in the comments people said that because Prince William was there, they were doing more rigorous searches about Oh, I forgot about Prince William sense, and George, it? yeah. Yeah. Proper little glory hunters they are, aren't they? We win, win a couple of games, go into the top <laughs> top half, and they come flooding back, don't they? Yeah, also, Nasef there, Nasef there again as well. He's been at the last few games. He's only here now. We've got good. What yeah, do you think? I'm having a bit of kickback about the um, oh, a couple of things. Going to, you know, getting a Lamborghini and going to Spain. Lamborghini <laughs> and Emery is the worst rhyme. I've ever heard. There's a few people yeah. saying actually it wasn't Perslow who, who who did that driving that, that Lamborghini. Yeah, that's me. Nassif or Nassif yeah. made driving force, wasn't it? We think. So yeah. I think Perslow went there to be fair after the Brentford game, but it obviously was in a plane, not a car. Oh, um, boo or, you, John! Stop ruining it. No one wants Perslow in the song. All right, we want it changed. So <laughs> change it. What's Perslow in the song for? Come on, I'm not the only one. Come on, Christian Perz. I went, no, he didn't. Nasef Sariri sorted it. All right, we've all seen the picture of him and Emery in an office somewhere with a shirt. Perzlo was still in charge. Gerard would still be here. I think you have Wes and Nasef. It'd still scan the same, wouldn't it? Wes and Nasef went to Spain. And I just yeah. Lamborghini just don't rhyme, does he? What would you have instead then? I mean, e, the E of Lamborghini rhymes with E of Emery. Lamborghini, Emery. I'm not really a... I'm not really a car person is there anything I love how these chants like the the Dimitri one was uh, a Ford Mondeo because you've got to get the car rhyming with the manager before you do anything else yeah it's got to be a good Bentley (laughs) Bentley is a Bentley better than a Lamborghini I know it's not long it's not long enough then is it went to Nassef and where memory 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 memory. I'm not sure it needs to be like in a in a in a shiny Bentley you have shiny Bentley but then who's going to change it to Shiny Bentley? They're going to, it's going to be Lamborghini. Let's change it from Perslow. Anyway, that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining. Um, who knows so, better than Hyundai? It's not pronounced Hyundai, though, is it? They've done a new advert now. Is it like Hyundai? <laughs> yeah, it's just a noise, isn't it? Here we go. Yeah, we've done enough. An hour 15. Thank you very much for tuning in, tuning in as always. 700 people watching live at 10 o'clock on a Saturday evening, so fair play to you. That's a, a great commitment as always. A lot of good football chat in the first hour. A lot of nonsense in the last 15 minutes, but we got there in the end. Um, thanks both for joining me as always. I might clip up some bits of these for YouTube as well. So if you see a clip tomorrow or Monday saying, what do we think about Leon Bailey? It's from this podcast, but I've trimmed it down um, and tidied it up because we've talked some rubbish as well about this. Um, I might um I might mention the idea for blinging the ring to the steward who, who searches me. Uh, 
<laughs> All right, let's call it. Thank you for watching. We'll see you very, very soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. But until then, up the villa. Up the villa.